Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We've been... uh looking at the first three chapters of Romans, specifically the Apostle Paul talking about the issue of who needs Jesus. Theologically, what Paul is discussing in these three chapters is how everyone in the world is condemned and going to hell. Practically, I wanted to present it to you in such a way to show you how each person in the world needs Jesus Christ. So what we have done over the last few weeks is look at different groups of people and how each one of these groups of people is condemned and going to hell. So the, you know, we looked first of all what Jesus has done for us, why we need him. The second week we looked at the issue of the my way or the highway crowd. That's that group of people that doesn't want to have anything to do with God. They've suppressed the knowledge of the truth in their life. They just want to do their own thing. And so Paul shows us how that group of people is condemned. The next week we looked at the prim and proper crowd. That's the group of people who have a moral standard. They're not like the my way or the highway crowd. They're not just doing their own thing. They live by a moral standard and they judge other people by that moral standard. They measure other people and see whether or not they measure up to that standard. But the problem is, Paul says, that they're condemned because they can't keep that standard themselves. And last week we looked at the frozen chosen. And what we meant by that is that those group of religious people who have the truth, who have the Word of God, who call themselves teachers and will tell other people how to live according to it, but they don't live by it themselves. And he tells us that they are condemned. Now you might be sitting here and saying, well, I'm, I don't fit into any one of those groups of people. I'm not like the my way, the highway crowd. I'm not like the prim and proper crowd, and I'm sure not like the frozen chosen, so I must be okay. Well, in case Paul has missed anybody, in verses 9 through 20, he then goes on to describe how everybody who exists, every human being, needs Jesus Christ because they're condemned. And so that's what we're looking at today, is the fact that everybody, that is you and I, everybody, everybody in our community, Everybody in our county, everybody in our state, our nation, our world needs Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus, they're condemned. So let's notice what he says. Verse 9, look with me in chapter 3 of Romans. He says this. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those under the law 
that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight of God, for by the law is knowledge of sin. So what we want to look at today is look at the issue of why each and every human being, you and I, need Jesus. And so we're going to see several things here. First thing I want you to notice in verse 9, he gives a proclamation. He's making a proclamation there. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Who's the they? He's talking about the three other groups. He's talking about that my way or the highway crowd, or the prim and proper crowd, or the frozen chosen. Are you and I better than they? No. We're all condemned. And so I want you to see two things that he says here. First of all, no one is better than the other. No one is better than the other. No one is better than the other. You know what? Here's what we do in our society. This is what humanity does. Humanity tries to judge each other. We try to look at each other and put each other on a different grade. So we'll judge each other based upon our socioeconomical status. Well, I have a college education. You don't. Which means I have a better job than you. You don't. Or, I have a job. You don't. And so we'll judge each other. I'm making this dollar figure. You're not. Or we'll look at the guy who says, well, I must not be okay because the guy above me is making more than me. And so we'll judge each other based upon those kind of things. And so we'll look down at each other as based upon our education levels, based upon our family, based upon the money we make. We'll use different standards to judge ourselves. But what I want you to see is Paul is saying that in God's way of looking at things, no one is better than the other. It doesn't matter what your family background is. It doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter if you're doing the right things or not doing the right things. No one is better. We are all in the same boat. You can't look at humanity based upon the standards humanity has set up. You have to look at them based upon the way God sees them. Because humanity's standards... Well, it's like this article that Janice Dunn wrote in Rolling Stone, the June 30th, 1994 edition, concerning Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash once had an album called American Recordings. On the album cover was two dogs. One dog is black with a white stripe. The other dog is white with a black stripe. The two dogs are meant to say something about Johnny Cash. In the interview with Rolling Stone, Cash explained what the two dogs mean. Their names are sin and redemption. Sin is the black dog with one white stripe. Redemption is the white one with one black stripe. And that's the kind of the theme of the album. And for me too, he said, when I was really bad... I wasn't all bad. When I was really good, I could never be all good. That would be the black streak running through. No one is all bad. But then again, no one is all good. We're all sinners who need to be redeemed. We all need Jesus. See, no one is better than the other. Look, because you go to church and someone else goes to church, does that make you better than them? No, you all need Jesus. All of us need Jesus. Our tendency is to compare ourselves with others. We'll do this. We'll say, well, I've never used drugs. Okay, fine. But given the right circumstances, the right situation, you never know. You never know. 
Well, I've never cheated on my spouse, given the right circumstances, the right situation. You never know. You never know. See, no one is better than the other. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us here. Why? Because he wants to also point out to us from verse 9, is that every human being, every human being is condemned to hell. Notice what he says there, verse 9. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that's the whole world, are all under sin. What does that phrase, all under sin, mean? All under the penalty of sin. All under the judicial judgment of sin. What is that? Death. Death in what sense? Death in the sense of a spiritual death. All of us, every human being, is condemned to hell. Except Jesus. Except Jesus. And so he wants to make that point to us, is that, here's the proclamation. Everybody needs Jesus. Now you might be sitting there and saying, why does everybody need Jesus? Why is everyone condemned? So he's going to lay out that case for us right here in verses 10 through 18. He's going to show us the nature of humanity. He's going to show us our human nature. He's going to show us why we are the way we are. Why is it that you are condemned? Because you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, well, hey, I'm okay. I'm doing pretty good. What do you mean? I mean... I'm doing a lot better th- good things than my bad things. You know, I only have just one little streak, but it's just a little streak. Why? So I want you to notice with me verses 10 through 18. First of all, he's going to point out in verses 10 through 12 that we are selfish and self-centered. That we are selfish and self-centered. Look at how he describes us in these three verses. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands There is no one who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. He's quoting from the Old Testament here. And here's the point he's wanting to make to you and I. Is that we are selfish and self-centered because when it comes to the things of God, our natural tendency, our natural part of who we are is, is that we don't want to have God in our lives. You might be sitting there saying, well, George, obviously I want God because I'm here. Well, don't, don't, don't just, just kind of think about it. You gotta think about your natural tendencies. Let me give you an example of what we're talking about here. I want you to think for a moment about a problem you just had, or maybe you're in the midst of a problem right now, and if you can't think of one, or if you're not in the midst of one, I want you to think about the one that's coming, because there is one coming. And I want you to think for a moment about how you normally react to that kind of a problem. Your human tendency is for you to deal with the problem by yourself. Do you go to God first when you have a problem? Probably not. When do we go to God? After we've tried to handle the problem or the situation ourselves, and we've made a bigger mess of it. Then we think about God. Why? Because our natural human tendency is to what? Our natural human tendency is to be selfish and self-centered, not to seek after God. That's what he's wanting you to see. Here, give me another example. Scripture tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's, it's, It's really a command, but there's a reason for it. Because as believers, as Christians, we need each other. It's more than just coming to church to hear George preach at you. 
It's because you need the fellowship of other Christians and know that other Christians are there to pray for you, to be there for you, to help you when you, you, are, when they, when you need them. But have you ever noticed that if you ever slip away from a fellowship, if you ever slip away from connecting with other Christians, if you ever slip away from coming to church, that is the family. And the longer you stay away, you ever noticed how much harder it is for you to come back? Everybody ever noticed that? You ever noticed that? See, what's going on there? Why is it so hard? Because what Paul is saying here is that by our human natures, we are what? Selfish and self-centered. And we don't seek after God. And so when you stay away, it's just really easier just to keep on staying away. You start saying things like, man, I didn't know I could get an extra hour of sleep in. But then you know what happens when you start focusing your life on self-centeredness, don't you? It starts going in the wrong direction. So the first thing he wants to tell us is that we are selfish and self-centered. The next thing I want you to notice is that we are marked by wickedness. We are marked by wickedness. What's he saying here? Look with me now at verse 13 through 18. He's going to describe our actions, the actions of humanity. First of all, he says in verse 13, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Here he's talking about three areas of each human being's life that reflects wickedness. Because you could be sitting there and saying, well, hey, I'm okay because I haven't killed anybody this week. I'm not doing all those bad things that people are talking about. But listen, he's describing three areas here. Here's the three areas. First of all, verses 13 to 14 talks about our talking. Talks about our talking. Look at how he says about our talking. He says this. Our throat is an open tomb. What comes out of our mouth is like an open tomb. Death. Words of death. Listen. With their tongues they practice deceit. What's he talking about there? Lying. Lying. And you notice the Bible doesn't divide lying up into... Because everybody will say, I, I just say little white lies. Lies of convenience. You know, I had a friend who once said, lying is an abomination to God, but a great help at a time of need. And isn't that true? You know, but here's what he says. We're wicked because our lips, what? They speak. Our tongues, they practice lies. The poison of ass is under... Their lips, what is the poison of ass? Ass are like a viper, a snake. We will utter poisonous things to destroy each other. He goes on and says, their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now see, that's the first area is talking. The next area is conduct. He talks about that in verses 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There he's talking about our conduct. Our conduct is wicked. And then finally, verse 18, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That is, they're seeing. See, every aspect of our lives, if we're left to ourselves, is wickedness. And we'll justify it. Listen, I want you to think of this for a moment. In the book, In Words We Live By, Brian Burrell tells of an armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis, who was arrested in 1992 in Rapid City, South Dakota. Curtis was not just your ordinary robber. He had some scruples about how he would steal. 
In the wallet, the police found a sheet of paper in which he had written the following code, which was his robber code of conduct. I want you to listen to this. Number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Number two, I will only take cash and food stamps, no checks. Number three, I will only rob at night. Number four, I will not wear a mask. Number five, I will not rob mini marks or 7-Elevens. Anything else is okay. Number six, if I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If I get chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent bystanders in jeopardy. What a nice guy. Number seven, I will only rob seven months out of the year. And number eight, I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor myself. This thief had a sense of morality, but it was flawed. When he stood before the court, he was not judged by the standards he had, but by a higher standard of the state. Likewise, we stand before God, and we're not judged by our code of morality. We're judged by God's perfect law. And by his perfect law, he says that what we're all marked by wickedness. See, that's the nature of humanity. That's where we're all at. And you thought you were doing pretty good when you came in here this morning. Here's what he says. All are are condemned. Look at verses 19 through 20. First of all, look at verse 19. For we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before it. First thing I want you to notice about our condemnation is, is that there are no excuses. Have you noticed something about our society, the culture in which we live in, the United States today? Have you noticed that it's nobody's fault? It's always someone else's? We live in a culture today where no one will accept responsibility. The reason why I am the way I am is not because of me. It's because of my daddy, or my mom, or my coach, or my teacher, or my pastor. And if I can't figure it out, it must be because of the guy across the street. Or maybe a guy over in the next county. Or maybe it was the cafeteria worker who put the wrong food on my tray when I went through the school line or something. Do you ever notice that it's always someone else's fault? It's not our own fault? And so we will come up with a myriad of excuses. We will come up with things that will say, well, you know, I'm really not a bad guy. I want you to think back just a few years ago to the Oklahoma bombing. Here's an article that appeared in the New York Times in 1997. A friend says that McVeigh wanted the bombing to start an uprising was the name of the article. In 1997, Timothy McVeigh was convicted of bombing the federal building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people. During the trial, one of his old army friends testified in the court and made a revealing observation about human nature. According to Joe Thomas, the New York Times says, the friend said, I've known Tim for quite a while, and if you don't consider what happened in Oklahoma... Tim is a really good guy. Most of us have a similar outlook on ourselves as we consider the prospect of standing before the judge of the earth one day. Before we consider, as we consider standing before Jesus himself. No, we are likely not to be found guilty of murder, but we can display our own sins and judge ourselves by what we've done right. We think, if this or that isn't taken into account, I'm okay. I'm a good person. The problem is is that these failings of ours are gravelessly serious in the sight of a holy God whose standard is perfect and righteous. He doesn't look over any of my 
little sins, without a Savior, every person faces an eternal judgment. You know, the reality is this. There aren't any excuses. You're not going to be able to stand before Him and say, well, you know, Lord, I know I did that, but it's because of this. It doesn't hold water. There are no excuses. When you stand before a holy God, hey, look, your excuses may work now. Let me just say that. And some of us are good at making excuses, aren't we? But when you stand before a holy God who sees everything, from your heart to your motives, there are no excuses. In fact, this is what Paul says, that every mouth may be stopped. You won't be able to even utter them when you stand before Jesus. Wow. He goes on and says this then, that we are all accountable. Notice that the world may become guilty before God. We're all accountable. Whether you like it or not, every single one of us is accountable for our actions. Oh, you may have gotten away with it before. You may be used to getting away with it. But one day, you've got to stand before somebody whose memory is a whole lot better than yours. In fact, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that, that I just my short-term memory is gone. Lori can give me a list for the grocery store, and it'll be written right on there. Either that, or my memory's not gone, or my eyesight is one or the other. And I'll get two out of ten items, and she'll say, "Where's the other eight? What other eight? Well, it's right here on the list. Oh, I must have forgotten. Some of that may be selective too. Anyhow, uh, but here's here's the point: when you stand before God. I think you're going to have perfect memory again. Because you know what? Let's be honest. We're sinners. And so we, we have forgotten about a lot of our sins, haven't we? But one day we're going to be accountable and we will remember. We'll remember everything. And that's what he's saying here is that we're, we don't have any excuses. We're all accountable. The next thing he says, he says in verse 20, is that we are not justified by our actions. You're not justified by your actions. Because some of us are thinking, well, I'm not a bad guy. I'm here, ain't I? Yeah, but being here isn't going to give you heaven. Putting something in the offering plate isn't going to give you heaven. Carrying a Bible isn't going to give you heaven. You're not justified by your actions. It's not how good a dad you are, or how good a husband you are, or how good a worker you are that gets you to heaven. None of that gets you to heaven. All of us, every single one of us, every single person alive needs Jesus. He's the only one who gets you to heaven. So you may be sitting here and you're saying, well, you know, I wasn't part of that my way, the highway crowd, or I wasn't part of the prim and proper crowd. I'm definitely not a frozen chosen guy. But you still need Jesus. Three things I want you to consider as we wrap up our series. Number one, do you recognize your condition? Do you recognize your condition? You say, what condition? Do you recognize the state of your soul? Do you recognize the state of your heart? Because the reality is, is, is as I look at myself now, I'm standing up here a believer in Jesus Christ, justified, not by myself. Because if it had to do with me, I'd be going to hell. My true condition, by myself, is a man headed to hell. Period. Do you recognize your condition? You need Jesus. Period. There's not a single person. And you, you know what? You hear people say, well, I don't need that God thing. Right. They don't really understand, do they? They don't understand their need for Jesus. Recognize your condition. Every single person here is headed 
with a one-way ticket to hell if you don't recognize that someone has paid the price for you. Someone has paid the price for you. So recognize your condition. Next thing, recognize that there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do about it. Say, so, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty devastating. You mean I'm headed to hell and there's nothing I can do about it? Nothing. No amount of good deeds. Even if you decided that, man, okay, up to this point, I know I haven't done right back here, but everything I do from here on out is going to be perfect. I'm going to do everything just right. George, I'll be here every day, even though you're not. First of all, I ain't going to do nothing for you anyhow. But there is nothing you can do to gain God's acceptance with him. Did did you listen to what I just said? You can't do anything to have God love you and accept you. Do you understand that? It has nothing to do with you. Because you can never be good enough. You could never, ever, ever be good enough. Period. And even if you tried, just watch. As soon as you pull out the parking lot here, somebody will cut you off. You know what I mean? It just comes natural. The attitudes, the actions. Isn't it true? See, you can never be good enough. We're bent on doing wrong. Does everybody understand that? Don't believe what the television tells you that everybody from a baby on up is good. Hey, can I tell you something? When Lori and I, with our kids, we didn't have lessons on how to be bad. We didn't teach them how to fight. We didn't teach them how to hit each other. We sure didn't teach them what a lie was. Now, we had to tell them what a lie was after they did it and why you don't do it. But do you understand what I'm saying? How many of you got taught to do wrong? You had to take a course. I have a college education in sinning. How many of you have that? A high school diploma or, or a two-week course and all the wrong things I can do in two hours. How many of you have that? Nobody's raising their hand. Nobody had to go through that, did you? It came natural, didn't it? And because of that, we're all condemned. And there's nothing we can do that will change that. So then what do we need to do? Third thing, final thing, embrace Jesus. Embrace Jesus. Embrace Him. What do you mean embrace Him? Recognize that He did it all for me. You know, I couldn't do anything, but you know what? He did it for me. He died for me. He gave Himself for me. I need only accept it into my life. I need only embrace it in my life. See, then I become righteous before God. Not because of myself, because I can never be righteous enough for Him. But I become righteous before God because of what Jesus did. And therefore, my acceptance with God has nothing to do with me, has everything to do with Jesus. Has everything to do with Jesus. And let me just make a side note here. Some of you here are, you wrestle with whether or not, even as a believer, you wrestle with whether or not you're doing enough right things for God to accept you. Can I tell you that you can never do enough things for God to accept you? And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He accepts you not based upon what you're doing. He accepts you based upon what Jesus has done for you. Isn't that an awesome thought? Isn't that a freeing thought? It should free you to know that He's done it for you. Maybe you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus. You haven't embraced Jesus. 
Recognize your condition. Recognize what awaits you. And turn to the one who's done everything for you. Turn to Christ. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.